All right. Well, before we open God's Word and spend some time in it together this morning, I want to draw your attention to the white flower to my left. Uh, it's an indication that somebody made a decision to follow Jesus. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, uh, one of our pastors actually witnessing to an elderly gentleman who made a decision to say yes to Jesus, receive the forgiveness of sin, and find hope of eternal life in him. And so for that reason, we're going to celebrate that today. Amen. All right. Well, if you would open your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 20, uh, we will be spending uh, time looking at a few of the verses, but we're going to read a significant portion of Acts 20 today in preparation for our message, actually Acts 20 verses 17 to 38. So before we do, uh, please pray with me. Father God, thank you for an opportunity now to just pause and open your word and reflect together on the significance of the church, the value of Christian leadership, the fact that God, through your spirit, you have empowered us to fulfill all that you ask of us. Encourage us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, I want to give a little context before we read uh, the, the text today. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know we're going through the book of Acts. If you're new today, we have been going through the book of Acts for some time. And we found ourselves in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, uh, we recognize that Paul is on his third missionary journey, a journey that began in Antioch of Syria, uh, went westward uh, into Greece, and then circled back, Paul was headed towards Jerusalem. And as he was making his way towards Jerusalem, uh, even before that, on this whole entire missionary journey, he, he spent a little bit of time in different communities where he had planted churches and shared the gospel. Uh, but a bulk of his time uh, was spent in the city of Ephesus, uh, nearly three years of this missionary journey that lasted almost four years. Um, and while he stayed in Ephesus, he not only planted a church there, but helped grow the church. And as he was making his way back, after visiting churches in Macedonia and Greece, uh, making his way back to Jerusalem, he wanted to stop to encourage a few of the churches along the way. Uh, the church in Ephesus happened to be one of them. What he didn't do, though, was stop in Ephesus to encourage the church. I think he was in his mind, reasoning, he wouldn't get out of there in time to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. He missed Passover, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so he stops in a town called Miletus and invites the Ephesian church leaders to join him for what we could call a farewell message, uh, kind of that message of, for the last time that I am now with you, I want you to know these things. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you uh, didn't know if you would be returning or not, and so you really felt compelled to give a farewell message, whether it be to your family or to some friends or to a church that you were leaving? Um, I have. And if you've ever been there, let's just say we'll give you an opportunity to be there right now. What would you say? 
What would be your parting words, your final words of encouragement as a farewell message if you knew that that might be the last time you'd be with those people? Well, I've had to think about this myself. Occasionally, I will leave for an extended period of time, one to two weeks. That's an extended period of time for me, at least for my family. And uh, when I do leave, we sit down as a family and I give them kind of a farewell speech in the sense that in case I don't come back, this is what I really want you to know. This is of utmost importance to life. Now, I always expect to come back, but for my children's sake and for my sake, my wife, uh, sake of my wife, I recognize how valuable it is to encourage them. I let my kids know, hey, in this time, uh, this is how you can be helpful to mom. And also, I want you to be good and do good to the glory of God. I want you to be the hands and feet to one another, and I want you to be the hands and feet uh, to, to those around you. Uh, I want you to know, kids, that there's nothing more important than to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to serve Jesus all of your life. And so the general tone of our conversation, though it's not long, is all around Jesus and how important our relationship with Jesus is. When we're done, we say a few other niceties. We hug and sometimes cry, sometimes not, and and then we pray. And after that, I usually get going, and so far, I've come back every time. Isn't that great? You know that, right? (laughs) And uh, it's great for all of us. But at the end of the day, it's through this lens that I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul as he's leaving the church of Ephesus and its leaders specifically, the charge he gives to them, the words he encourages them with. It's quite an extended passage of scripture. And so if you need to follow along in the text or on the screen, feel free to do so. We begin in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. When he had landed in Miletus, He sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know from the day that I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me that in city after city, jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock 
his church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you. After I leave, not sparing the flock, even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years that I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust to you, God, and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. When we had finished speaking, he knelt down and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship and he left. One of the things I hope that you caught in Paul's farewell message to these leaders in Ephesus was God's care for his church. In fact, it says that God cares so much for his church that he purchased it. He bought the church with his very own blood. And because God cares for the church, he has appointed elders, pastors, overseers to bring leadership, care, and nurture to the church so that we can grow up in Christ together and be all that God wants us to be. Today, we're going to take a moment to look at the role and the importance of the role of the pastor or elder, teacher, overseer in the church. You'll get a chance to evaluate us as a staff and as your pastor as we consider the qualifications and purposes and in ways upon which we are called to lead the church. And you can evaluate for yourself whether or not we're doing a good job. Only thing I ask is that you do that with grace. Certainly, we're not perfect. But I can say with confidence that we have a staff and we have leaders in our church family who desire to live to please God and to care for his church faithfully. As we consider the role of pastor and elder to nurture and care for the church, we're going to look at these three things, the importance of a Christian leader's life being lived out with integrity the need or the necessity of teaching sound doctrine faithfully, and finally, Paul's charge to be generous towards others. Now, though Paul was specifically talking to leaders in this context, I think it is fair to say that these same principles can apply to every Christian in the church. And so as we go through this, 
as you evaluate your leaders here, I also encourage you to evaluate your own life and how you're doing in these areas. For Paul, Jesus was the main thing. Nothing was more important to Paul and for Paul in his life and in his message than the person of Jesus Christ. And this became the focal point of how Paul encouraged and appointed leaders to shepherd God's church. One thing Paul recognized in his message to the Ephesians is that he wasn't the one appointing leaders. It was the Holy Spirit of the living God who purchased his church by his own blood that appointed leaders to bring care over the church. In keeping the main thing the main thing, Paul came in with a clear message. I bring nothing else to you but the message that Jesus saves. In fact, verse 21 of chapter 20, it says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. This is the gospel. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel confronts sin in our life. But the gospel also provides a pathway to find hope. And that hope is only and always in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, as we consider the reality that abortion has and its effect on our society and our communities, and in light of the legislation that was approved and now is going to the governor's desk, as Pastor Brian said, this isn't about politics. This is truly about a moral, an ethic, and a standard that the Bible teaches in how we are to view life and uphold life as something special. If you are somebody who is in that statistic of 19 out of 100 people who has had an abortion, let me say with the utmost compassion to you, God's love is still for you. He will forgive you, embrace his mercy, and embrace his grace. God can still use you in a mighty way. You are not disqualified from being a Christian. But in case you are one who is considering an abortion, know that that is not God's plan for you or the child you carry. For God's desire is for that child to come to life and that child to find its purpose in Jesus Christ. When we consider Paul's main message to the church in Ephesus and its leaders, his entire message can be, be summarized in this statement in verse 28. And this is what it says in verse 28 of 20. Guard yourselves. And God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. Just want to take a moment this morning to reflect on the importance of Christian leadership in the church and how we as leaders must keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is Jesus, the center of our messages 
the center of our lives, the message we live and the message we proclaim. So point number one I want to draw on is really this first part in verse 28, guard yourselves. As a Christian leader, it is important that we live a consistent life of godliness. Every pastor, overseer, teacher, elder in the church is called to live a life of godliness and to be an example. There's nothing more important in the Christian life that doesn't go just for leaders. It includes you as well. There's nothing more important in the Christian life than our own personal holiness. Holiness is simply conformity to the image and likeness of God. That's what it means to live a holy life. If we consider the fact that we are to guard ourselves as leaders, we are to do that so that we can live a holy life before the Lord, but also a holy life before those we lead. Timothy, who is a young pastor in the church at Ephesus, was a recipient of two of Paul's letters, First and Second Timothy. And in fact, in First Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes these words to Timothy, who was a mentoree of Paul. He says, don't let anyone think of you or think less of you because you are young. He then says this, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Timothy was at times timid, probably had a bit of a complex because of his age. And Paul said, yeah, don't let that be a problem. But make sure that in your Christian leadership, you pay attention to these things. Be an example in what you say. Make sure that the words that come from your mouth are glorifying to God and edifying to others. Pay attention to the way you live. Make sure that the life that you preach and the life that you teach and the life that you proclaim is consistent with the life that you live. If my life lived outside the church was different than my life lived inside the church and the message that I bring to you week in and week out, one thing I am certain of is that these pews on every Sunday morning should shrink, get smaller and smaller, and pretty soon you all should be gone. For this reason, there must be integrity as your pastor in the words I proclaim in the life that I live. And one of the things that you get to do as a congregation is watch my life closely. Not just my life, but the life of all of us as leaders in this church. We are called to live a life of integrity and godliness. A life of love, which is demonstrated through a life of being selfless and sacrificial and other-oriented. It's a life upon which you can look to any one of us as your leaders and say, wow, they are not selfish people. They are truly sacrificial in the way that they are living, in the way that they are serving. In your faith. I believe God. I believe the word of God. 
I believe in Jesus, and I believe that he not only gives hope to my life, but he gives hope to your life. And I'm going to live from a posture of believing God. And I'm going to live from a posture of saying, what God says in his word is true. And then there's a life of purity. This is one where, sadly, a lot of pastors today are really struggling with. A life of purity is, is not a life of perfection. It's a life of avoiding sin and saying yes to righteousness. It's a life of discipline. It's a life of being an example of what it means to be a godly person who follows Jesus. Today, our culture and our society and our world is oversaturated with pastors who are failing in the area of purity. Their egos are being stroked and stoked by the rock star image that they can bear in society. They're having a hard time because of the pressures of life of not succumbing to moral failure to get a quick fix. And the reality is Jesus is still only the answer. In Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, the question is posed, how can a young person stay pure? And here's the answer. By obeying the word of God. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Purity is not just for the Christian leader, by the way. It's a standard of the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writes this, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Who wouldn't want to follow a leader like that, right? As I follow Jesus, follow me. Because as I follow Jesus, I'm going to pay attention to my life closely. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to obey the word of God. I'm going to be conformed in the image and likeness of God. And as I am, follow me. This is my desire as your pastor. I want with conviction to say to you, follow me as I follow Jesus. But do you want to know something that is really scary to say? because it's a hard life to live. But it's a life worth living. Imitating Jesus is not just a call to every pastor and leader in the church. It's a call for everyone who's a part of the family of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The life of Christ is selfless and sacrificial in every way. It's a life complete other-oriented. It's not about me. It's about pleasing my Father. And it's about serving you. That's true for the Christian leader. But that should also be true for your life 
as a dear child of the family of God. Our Christian life can either be a witness to the gospel and bring glory to God, or it can be a life upon which we bring a stain to the name of Jesus. As your pastor, I live daily evaluating my life to make sure that what I do and what I say and how I live and what I think and what I teach and what I preach is not bringing a stain to the name of Jesus, but is glorifying his name and is helping others see their need for him. You know, I tell my my children to, to not pay attention to my sin, my faults, and my failures because I'm going to fail, I'm going to sin, and and I'm not always going to get it right. It's not about Christian perfection. But what I also tell them is pay attention to what I do when I am in the wrong, when I do fail, when I do sin. Because a godly leader in a godly life when we are faced with our sin, we'll turn from our sin and repentance and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. We'll seek reconciliation from those around us. We'll lead, live, and love by example. We'll in humility receive from those in our life any confrontation that makes us stand face to face with our sin. I can promise you one thing. It's way easier for my kids to call my bluff in my life than it is for others. They see it, and they're not afraid to say it. But when my bluff is called, what will I do? As a godly man, as a godly father, as a godly husband, and as a godly leader, I will turn from my sin and I'll turn to Jesus. And that's what God wants from you too. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I take Paul's life as an example serious. And I can speak with the utmost confidence that we have leaders in this church at all levels who do the very same. Can I say about our staff especially. We are in good hands because we have a staff who loves Jesus and who truly wants to live their life as an example to follow. And I praise God for that. The second thing that we can pay attention to in verse 28, Paul says, guard yourselves, but he also says, guard God's people and feed and shepherd God's flock. So we're to teach sound doctrine and we're to nurture the church faithfully. That's what Christian leaders do. Theology is simply the study of God and doctrine is the study of what we believe. It was A.W. Tozer who said, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And the reason that this is true is because what you believe about God informs how you live your life. You want pastors and teachers 
and overseers in the church to have good theology and to teach sound doctrine. Because if we don't have that in the church, we will go wayward. Christian doctrine is what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the Holy Spirit and sin and salvation, what we believe about the Bible and life and death and heaven and hell and all the things that the Word of God teaches. It was Timothy, again, who received from Paul as a leader, as a pastor in Ephesus, he says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. As overseers, we are called to be watchmen of the flock. When the Bible speaks of sin, we address it. When the Bible tells us to encourage and edify, we do that. We help a flock understand the guardrails of life so that we can stay on the straight and narrow and live a life that is pleasing to God. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament who was called to, to live this life. And, and when he called, was called to be a prophet, see, in the Old Testament, God used people to be a spokesperson. But now in the New Testament, he's given us his word, and so he's speaking for himself. But he still uses pastors and teachers and others to kind of speak to this. But guess who he's putting me to speak to you? The Holy Spirit. Guess who he's given you? The Holy Spirit. So we now equally have access to the Spirit of God and the Word of God to inform us how to live our life. But in the Old Testament, we have this prophet Ezekiel, who he would warn the people of God about their sin, and he would tell them to repent but he wouldn't leave it there. What he would say is repent of your sin and turn to God because when you do, you will find hope. You will meet the God of grace and mercy. You will find forgiveness and then you will be right with God. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Anytime a bank teller is coached on understanding how to identify a forfeit counterfeit bill, they don't start by studying all the counterfeits out there. They start by studying the authentic bill so that when they encounter a counterfeit, they can identify it. This is true of pastors in the church. We shouldn't spend all of our time talking about the counterfeits of Christianity. We should spend all of our time, time teaching sound doctrine so that when the counterfeit Christianity enters our life, we can identify it and we'll know what to do with it. I want to take a minute and brag about our pastoral and ministry staff. We have a value of upholding the word of God in all of our discipleship ministries. And so it becomes foundational to who we are and what we do and how we live and what we teach. Did you know that our nursery isn't just a place for littles to have their boogers and butts wiped? It's a place where we pray, play, 
pray blessings over children. We speak promises of God to their life. We nurture them with the word of God. And all the way through elementary, where on Wednesday night in Awana and Sunday morning in Sunday school, we're giving them the word of God. We're teaching them the truths about who God is and about the doctrines of the church. But we're also equipping families to go home and be able to do this at home knowing full well that it's not the church's primary responsibility, it's mom and dad's responsibility, and we come alongside you to encourage you, to support you, to help you, to make sure that you're in aligned with proper and sound doctrine. In our adult ministries, and actually in our youth ministries, we continue this. And did you know that our youth leaders don't just invest in our kids when they're here, they actually invest with them out there in the real world where they show up at their sporting events and concerts and in spaces and places, they have lunch with them. And they, they don't just talk about what we teach, they talk about real life matters and how God intervenes and intersects real life. In our adult ministry, focuses on God's word oftentimes through inductive Bible study because what we understand is that we are not just going to be pastors who are mouthpieces upon which you should just listen to everything we say. We're gonna teach you God's word and with the Holy Spirit and the living word of God together, you'll be able to evaluate everything we say and you'll be able to identify where we error and then you can call us out and correct us. You can challenge us and together we can grow up in Christ. We have a seniors ministry that still is learning and, and, and teaching and understanding the word of God so that we can grow up in Christ, even at that age and stage of life, whatever that is, right? But you know what that flower indicates to me right there? That it's never too late to respond to the gospel. Because that was an elderly man who said yes to Jesus. Jesus matters, the Bible matters, the church matters, and salvation is found in no one else but the person of Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine teaches those truths and realities to each one of us. And in case you're wondering today, if the church matters to your life as a Christian, in case you're wondering today, if Jesus truly is the only way to be saved, in case you're wondering today if the Bible has any value to our life as a Christian, I'm going to give you the simple answer. Yes. The church is so valuable to Jesus that he paid his life for you and me. The word of God is not dead, it's living and active. There's no way we can live the life of being a Christian without it. There's no way we'll find eternal life in any other way than through the person of Jesus Christ. That's sound teaching right from God's word. Finally, let's just take a moment and identify this final appeal in verse 35. I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Christian leaders are to live their lives generously. We are to be an open book. We are to be open-handed. And we are to be 
utilizing every gift that God's given us to serve and nurture the flock. That's you. Paul's life was the greatest example that he could give besides the person of Jesus Christ of what it means to live generously. Not only did he give up his life, but he made sure that he wasn't a burden to anybody. In fact, not only did he care for his own means through working hard, he made sure that those around him he was working hard to care for as well. It's not just our money upon which we are to be generous with, but our time and our talents and our treasures and everything, every resource that God has given us. Christian leaders are to be an example and we're we're to hold loosely and to share with others what we have. Here's a great motto to live by. See a need, meet a need. We can all do that, can't we? Let's be intentional about how we live towards others. Let's make sure that we live to be a blessing towards others and not a burden. Can I just say this with love? If you're a burden to somebody in your life because you're lazy, knock it off. It's time to grow up and it's time to take responsibility for your life. God's called you to be a blessing. And if the reason you're a burden is because you're lazy, that's called sin. And God doesn't want you to live that life anymore. He wants you to live responsibly. And he wants you to be a blessing. Don't just pretend to love others. Truly love them. Those were the words of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. That's a life of generosity. When we love well. You know, a generous life is an attractive life, isn't it? When we live generously towards others, the attraction that they see in us will bring them to us. And when they are to us, they're going to ask, what makes us different? And it's then and there that God will give us that opportunity to point them to Jesus and say, oh, I don't do this on my own. I do this because of Christ in me. A generous life, a godly life, sound doctrine and teaching, those are all impossible to do without the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian leader, and the Christian in the church. And when we live generously and we become an attraction to others and we can point others to Jesus through our lives, we can be certain that God will not only be glorified and pleased, but that when the church wins and God wins, others will be one to Jesus as well. And they too can experience a life that God has for them to live. And we can rejoice in that. Healthy churches are led by healthy leaders. And healthy leaders 
are men and women who seek to be godly, who teach sound doctrine, and who live generously. Not just a challenge to the leaders in this church. That's truly a challenge to everybody who is a part of this church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of your church, for your love for the church, for your desire to put leaders in your church that can be examples, that can teach us how to live before you, God. And that will help us to not only know what it means to be generous, but to truly live lives that will attract others to you. Help us to be that church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.